that was Baby Metal, fresh off an appearance on Late Night with Stephen Colbert. I'm Bo Ranstell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show, a podcast devoted to the world of Asian horror. On the first episode, we looked at Takashi Miyake's Audition, a somber extension of the traditional Japanese woman-done-wrong genre, but with a decidedly different approach to the culturally familiar tale. So if you didn't listen to that, uh, worthwhile uh, going back and listening to that. This time around, we are going to turn our attention to uh, Yoshihiro Nishimura's Tokyo Gore Police, a sophisticated retelling of Charles Dickens' Little Dorrit. Actually, Tokyo Gore Police is a double scoop of insanity, and one far too dense with weirdness for me to handle alone. And so, I have enlisted the aid of podcasting Firebrand, American expatriate, co-host of the Black Annis podcast with her husband Ben, and potential engineer, I haven't ruled that out yet, uh, Misty Marchant. Uh, first of all, am I pronouncing the last name correctly? I, always, I, I use the, the French Marchant. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. It's, it's Marchant. And I believe that it probably was originally French, but you know how the English are with the French. You know, as soon as they moved over here many moons ago, I'm sure they changed it immediately to Marchant. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I don't care for that. For Begenzies. Uh, but our, before we get into uh, the movie or uh, pronunciation of last names, because that will clearly take up about half the show. <laughs> um, so you are originally American. I am, yes. And then you somehow got this weird sixth, maybe even seventh sense that one day Donald Trump was going to run for president and you got the hell out of the country. Uh, I- well done. Oh yeah, actually, it's it's I I'm one of those people. I don't know if you remember these people from back in the day, but I'm I'm one of those people that said if George Bush gets reelected, I'm leaving the country, and I left the country. Yeah, <laughs> I stuck <laughs> to my word. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a sad state of affairs when we can look fondly back at the uh, George W. Bush administrations. And say those were the good old days. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's very interesting because when you when you leave America, well, when you live in the states, because I, I was 28 when I moved here, so I I've spent a large portion of my life in the states, um, and you know it's a bit fucked up at the time, but when you move to another country and sort of get acclimatized to the new culture and how things work and everything, you realize that it's really fucked up. Like it's way worse than you thought at the time. (laughs) But, um, but I'm sure you guys are doing fine over there. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that Donald Trump will not be elected and, and all will be well with the world. Well, your, (laughs) your lips to God's ear. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I I like to think of the George Carlin line in situations like this uh, when he said, when you're born, you get a ticket to the circus. And when you're born in America, you get front row seats. Oh, that's so apt. <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of things that should not be, uh, <laughs> let, let, let us look at today's film. We are talking about... Tokyo Gore Police. And and I got a, a little bit of a confession here. Um, yeah. I almost invented this podcast to talk about this movie. <laughs> it's not it's not the sole reason, but it's up there. 
it, it is well deserved. I mean, any anyone who loves horror movies, or hell, anyone that just loves fucked up weird movies, has got to have a special place in their heart for this movie. It's just amazing <laughs> and yeah. odd. And, you know, I, I could see I could see you inventing a podcast just to talk about this movie. I really could. Um, there for a second there, it was almost going to be one of those. Uh, uh, Grown Ups 2 situations where it, we just go minute by minute through Tokyo Gore Police. And then I thought, you know, we should probably spread this around to other other movies. But um, oh, God. Uh, yeah. what is that? The worst idea ever made. Is that the podcast where they watch Grown Ups 2 every day? So, yeah. <laughs> and this would conversely be the best idea, uh, the best movie ever made. Like Tokyo Gore Police, uh, like we'll get into the plot in a second, but I think. I think before we do, it's important to say that there are there are words we are going to use that are kind of invented to describe this movie. Uh, it, it's it's a real scrumptiousent scenario uh, because this movie is, I, I believe, the scientific term is bananas. <laughs> and, and when I first saw it, uh, you know, how do you resist a name like Tokyo Gore Police? So you rent a movie with that title. And right. and also, um, you know, uh, Ahi Sheena, Sheena uh, from Audition is in it. So thematically, that's your carry through from episode one to two. But, you know, so I was curious. I, I watched this movie and I've never been quite the same. Uh, it actually turned me on to an entire genre of Asian shock horror films that I didn't, because when I first saw this, it was it was the first big sort of, you know, I, obviously, I, I like I said before, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Asian horror, but it was all more sort of traditional horror. This was the one that introduced me to a whole new world. <laughs> Bizarre shit. <laughs> Part of me wanted to sing along, like, don't you dare close your eyes, you know, or go full <laughs> Aladdin with it. Yeah, yeah, it's. It, I, I, I had the same experience where it was like, w- are they making movies like this now? Yeah, yeah. Are there more of these? <laughs> <laughs> right. What What happened? Where did this come from? And it, you know, then you go back and see, you know, like Tetsuo and and yeah, that sort Jane of thing, Girl and and all that. Right, and you realize, like, oh yeah, there is this weird subgenre of Japanese splatter films that are gleefully over the top, mm-hmm. and in a way that I don't know that there is an American analog or a Western analog to this kind of movie because no, no, the closest again out of Japan, the closest you can really get to this sort of level of bizarre is through anime you know there, there's yeah. nothing nothing western that comes close to to this sort of thing although it'd be interesting to see that happen i don't think they would do it as well you know yeah. well there would be the i i i think that what makes these movies and and tokyo gore police in particular work is that it's not dour there's not there's not a a, a sense of being uh, a little too somber about the subject matter. Yeah. 
And I feel like the American impulse would be like, yeah, you know, people are going to feel this. It's going to be visceral. And yeah, yeah. They want you to connect with the audience so badly. And, and with these sorts of movies, they couldn't give a shit. They, they just want to entertain and drown you in blood, which is uh, more than welcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, let's, let's quit screwing around. Uh, let, let's start really talking about what this movie is about. So the, the, the film is set in the near future uh, of, uh, of Tokyo, uh, hence the title. And the police has become uh, the police force in the country has become privatized. Yeah. Yeah. They're more like a, a government run mercenary group at this point. Yeah. With some really rocking samurai armor. Oh God. Yeah. Their helmets are amazing. <laughs> yeah. And what I really like about those is you can kind of see they're not uh, like machined or anything. It looks like they're pounded because you can see the dents and all the metal, like the, yeah. the peeled back portion of the helmet and so forth. And Absolutely. it, it just looks cool. Uh, and you know, next week, uh, next week's show, we're going to be talking about the movie versus which nice. it, Right. And and that's a movie that is almost 95% style and 5% story. <laughs> and this movie falls sort of in an in-between area where there actually is a story. It's it's crazy pants. Again to use a technical term. <laughs> but but there is a real story happening and and part of that story is you have this private police force um, Ruka, uh, our, our lovely lady heroine is, uh, an orphan. Her father was murdered before her eyes when she was a child and is now employed as a, a hunter for the, uh, the, this Tokyo private police force because on the loose now are, uh, creatures, human beings that have mutated called engineers, and what happens with an engineer um, is if you wound them, their wound becomes a weapon. It grows into some mutated what have you. There is a variety of, yeah. of, of potential <laughs> mutations. But yeah, so you become this superpowered mutant with weird weapons. And uh, Ruka is you know sort of the top hunter uh she is given an award uh shortly after the beginning of the film because she has killed 50 of these engineers yeah well and the, the thing that's kind of kick-ass about the award uh or the the new medal that she's given is uh it's it's for killing 50 of them and it's on it is written heaven's punishment and i think that's a pretty cool badge to have that I am, uh, I, I, I'm basically, you know, Gabriel the Archangel here to destroy engineers for our dear Lord. Um, yeah. but, uh, so we, we have an opening scene where Ruka shows up and does a doom style rocket jump. Um, for all you video game enthusiasts out there, the <laughs> only place this works is in multiplayer games where you fire a rocket launcher at the floor and that jettisons you high into the air. Um, I don't think in reality that works, but well, uh, have you tried it? 
I haven't. I, and that's that's how I'm going to end the first season of the show. <laughs> so there may only be one. Just fair warning. But so she ends up on on this uh, kind of skyscraper that's under construction with an engineer who has taken out some of the police with um, a crazy chainsaw hand. This crazy chainsaw hand is fairly awesome. It is because like, he he can swing it around. That's yeah. what's great about it. He can like shoot it out. It's like a chain connected to the chainsaw that's going into his arm, and and just yeah, it's it's a pretty badass chainsaw hand. I mean, he's no Ash, but you know, <laughs> right, right. But it, you got to think there's some a little tip of the hat, a doff of the cap, if you will, yeah. uh, to Evil Dead, and yeah, so. Uh, Ruka and Chainsaw Hand throw down and, uh, she picks up a chainsaw of her own and they have a, a bit of a chainsaw fight and she ends up severing Chainsaw Hand's chainsaw hand and then has Crazy Mutant Chainsaw on one hand, regular chainsaw on the other, and then just does the guy in like a badass. Oh yeah. And it's... It's a great opening to this movie. <laughs> Everything about it sucks you in. I mean, because he doesn't just, you know, she jumps up there and they fight. You know, he, he has a complete freak out and he's tossing his crazy hair around. And it's, you know, it's awesome. It's just a really good opening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing about this movie is that no one... No one gets a cut and bleeds a little bit. Oh no! Like no, everyone, that would be silly. yeah, everyone <laughs> is basically a rocket-propelled hemophiliac. <laughs> so, so that if you cut anyone a little bit, out come the geyser uh, of blood, and um, it's uh, it's glorious. Gallons and gallons of it just come shooting out and coat everyone in the vicinity. <laughs> Yeah, no, and right off the bat, like when you get the uh, the backstory of Ruka in the, in the film, um, you are treated to an exploding head almost immediately, and that's where the movie starts. I want to know the gun that does that. I want to own that gun. That is the most amazing head explosion <laughs> from a single shot that I have ever seen in any movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's Scanners-esque. It, yes, very much. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the gun or if Ruka's father may have suffered from uh, soft skull syndrome. <laughs> um, they don't go into that in the story. I can only assume there are some uh, things I'm filling in for sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it comes apart real good. And, and that sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Um, so... After her successful uh, takedown of Chainsaw Hand Guy, um, she goes back to the uh, what appears to be an abandoned warehouse where the Tokyo police force is holed up. Yeah, and, they're being privatized. They'd have a really nice headquarters. But no, it's like this abandoned, empty warehouse with fucking rave lighting. <laughs> Well, it's interesting you say rave lighting because um, she believes that maybe something sinister is afoot because no one's around. Yeah. 
And then we are treated to our first introduction of the chief of the, the private police force and his pet gimp. And can I just say that this, at this point in the film is my second, I want one for the movie. I want one. His pet gimp seems so handy. (laughs) Yeah. And he's, in fairness, he's also fairly affectionate with his gimp. Mm. Um, Obviously treats her nicely. Right. In as much as a quadruple amputee wearing a gas mask, I I guess can be treated well. Um, Yeah, it is like, there's a lot of weird fetish stuff in this movie. And uh, makes me very happy. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird because there's in a lot of, in a lot of Japanese horror, sexuality is, is tied to, you know, sort of, death and and shame and that sort of thing and in this movie it just becomes a a platform for perversion right right and and i notice throughout this film as well anyone indulging anyone that indulges in the sort of fetish aspects that are brought to us in this movie anything that goes near bdsm is a a villain they they're evil and they're fucked up and their motivations are insane and you know it it's like they they're treating the fetish as symptomatic of a disorder almost (laughs) yeah yeah and that's not entirely surprising i mean this this is a culture that is very very conservative in a lot of ways um you know this movie i think is less at fault or, or symptomatic than other movies, but there is a very particular view of women in, in the Japanese culture that isn't what you would necessarily refer to as progressive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of brazen sexuality is not, not treated terribly kindly in this movie, but I would argue that we actually have a, uh, a female heroine in this film that, is a very strong character and adaptive and, and that sort of thing. Like it's, it's an almost unusual portrayal of a female hero. Absolutely. And also let's keep in mind the train scene. They do punish just general, not, not even extreme perversion, but they, you know, the man who gropes her on the train is punished for just regular perversion. Right. Like, and and that's grab, grabbing a woman's ass on the train. I mean, damn near any woman you've ever known that has had to ride public transport has had that experience, you know. And so they're not just calling out women. They're also calling out men, which is also a bit unusual for, you know, Japanese cinema. Um, unless the man is a full on rapist, they don't usually get called out for that sort of thing in these movies. But this movie did call him out. So I thought yeah. that was a, I thought that was a, a, a progressive little tidbit that was, that was in there. <laughs> yeah. Kind of surprisingly. So I, I, I think this movie, despite some conservative aspects of it tends to be one of the more like gender friendly 
Asian horror films, uh, certainly that we're talking about, uh, in this season. Um, and I think in a weird way, these kind of transgressive, you know, Japanese shock films, they are very subversive, not just in, in terms of their depiction of gore, but the depiction of, of women who tend to be in general, the lead characters and have more agency in the film. And, um, but that's fairly highfalutin for yeah. a movie that is now uh, <laughs> going to pivot uh, towards, you know, the, so we're, we're, we, we have a little bit of a, a, a birthday or a celebration uh, for Ruka for having killed all these people. Yeah. And then we find out that not only um, was the chief sort of a guy who, kind of helped raise her but there's uh, a bar called the bar independent uh and there's uh, a lady there that uh, serves as the mother figure for ruka and uh that is only important so that later we can see her drawn and quartered yeah uh, but um, another another strong independent female character that's standing on her own two feet. And if you look at um, the sort of the rules for women in cinema, whether a film is sexist or not, you know, you have more than one woman as a main character and they have conversations with each other and they're not about guys. It fits. It, it, this movie does pass the test, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's strangely, familiar to a western audience i mean that i mean there are plenty of of arguments to be made for western film and uh cinema still having a long way to go of course but yeah, star trek sequel <laughs> oh geez all right well, well another <laughs> podcast another time but oh uh, so this movie also uh they're, they're speaking of the scene on the train um, so what happens is Ruka finds that uh, uh, there is a, a, a villain going around infecting people with with fleshy little key looking things, which turns ordinary folk into engineers. And someone is basically taking prostitutes, draining them of blood and leaving them in a box, their skin and pile of bones and flesh. And, uh, so she is on the, on the hunt for this kind of Uber engineer who's making other engineers. And, uh, speaking of the train scene, we are on the train and not only does, uh, Ruka get groped and, and deal with that summarily, but we also have a character, uh, that for no good reason is just eating bugs uh, on the subway. And, this movie reveals the startling truth that that is kind of gross. It is totally gross. They like zoom in on his mouth and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's a real weird scene. And, and then we have the, the scene with uh, Ruka getting a little um, manhandled in the, in quite literal terms. And she just takes the dude outside, cuts off his arms and with her uh, cane sword, from her umbrella. And then we're treated to one of the, I think rather iconic images of this film. Yes. 
I agree completely. <laughs> uh, yeah, of Ruka walking away from this scene with a dude uh, with severed arms waving his stumps around as they just jettison blood into the sky. And Ruka walks away with her umbrella unfurled to shield herself from the rain of blood that she has created. And it's a it's, beautiful shot. It really is. <laughs> it's kind of great. It really is. I. It's one of those things that you know that Nishimura probably had in his head somewhere early on. Yeah. Of like, I'm going to get this shot. And by God, did he. <laughs> it's... Oh, it, uh, it is. And, 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 you know, as I mentioned before, any woman that's ever traveled on public transport, you watch that scene and you're just like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I you know, I can only imagine, but uh, I imagine it a lot. Um, <laughs> not groping, getting groped. It's just <laughs> just a weird fantasy of mine. Let's talk real quick about the commercials that we see in this movie. Oh God! I, honestly, it's one of my favorite things about this movie are the commercials. Um, the first one that you get because through the movie you get these little advertisements that randomly pop up. And uh, the first one is about Harry Carey. Yep. Uh, and, and, Harry Carey is suicide. Don't do it. You know. Right. It's <laughs> anti uh, Harry Carey, which I think is appropriate. Um, and there, then the other one is similar in tone. Well, not the other. There are a couple, but the other one that relates to this is uh, the one with all the girls, where they. Uh, there's a new knife accessory. Yeah. Wrist cutter. Yeah. The new wrist cutter. <laughs> and in both cases, we're talking about self mutilation. And again, this movie is not incredibly high minded, no. but that said, it's not without its political statements. And, and I, one of them seems to be this, uh, you know, as you said, as, as Japan, makes a transition to more Western, a, a Westernization of its culture. Um, things like the incredibly high suicide rate in Japan, um, mm. where, where there's a grand tradition of like, Hey, if you, if you shame yourself or your family, then eh, suicide's not the worst thing that can happen to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And with the girls and, and the cutting of the, you know, this idea of, uh, of self mutilation that, like you know, it's trendy, it's cute, you know. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's you know Japanese traditional looking Japanese schoolgirls giggling together as they're accessorizing the blades they use to cut their arms, <laughs> and and Ruka uh, herself as a character is someone who has cut herself, who is a, a cutter. Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, if you remember back to the opening scene before she goes up on the roof, she sat in her car you know, cutting her arms up with her little razor blade accessory thing. Yeah. And I wonder the, the one thing that I always think about when I, when I watch this movie is I wonder if that's sort of a personal test for her of, Hey, I'm okay. I'm not like I, I can wound myself and I'm not one of these engineers. Um, or if there's a deeper, deeper cultural statement being made about, um, you know, that there is something that goes along with being, 
female and Japanese that there is an instinct to hurt oneself. Mm. And, and I don't know, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, <laughs> well, I think, I think it's, I think it's one of those things that if we were actually Japanese, we would probably get it a bit more, you know, but because the cultures are so very different when looking at it through sort of Western eyes, you know, we, all we can do is really make assumptions and, you know, is it, is it proving to herself that she can handle pain, that she can take it? Or is it, um, you know, a sort of self-loathing, you know, because right after this is when we get the birthday scene of killing 50 engineers. Um, you know, it's, it, it's tricky. It's a tricky, tricky to figure that sort of thing out. Yeah, yeah. And at some point, I'm going to trip my way into saying something unintentionally offensive uh, about <laughs> Japanese culture. Um, and, and I may do it on this very show when, you know, talking about cutters and whatnot. But um, yeah, and did you did you watch the, the short films as well? No. Okay, no. there's a mild spoiler. There is another commercial in that mix. Oh God, yes. <laughs> Which is about um, not wanting to uh, say goodbye to loved ones and only have pictures left uh, of them to remind you of their presence and and your time with them. So instead, you can get uh, your loved one's head stuffed and just <laughs> keep that around. And there's a, the, the best bit uh, in the commercial is uh, there's a, a warning that says, like, hey, by the way, this doesn't apply to bodies that have already been cremated. Like, we can't do nothing with them. But but if you have 30,000 yen, then, yeah, we can <laughs> you can preserve your family, your loved one's head. And when, it it's pretty great. When was that made? Uh, the short films, yeah. I think it, it feels like they were made around the same time, which would have been 08. Um, I don't I, think they were made after the fact because there are characters in the short films that exist in the film itself. Right. Um, okay. okay. Well, I, I ask because recently, and uh, again, you can edit this out if you need to. Um, recently, uh, there was a show on artificial intelligence. And um, there was a Japanese scientist who has created an incredibly brilliant AI that gives emotional responses, um, complex communications, all of that. And his end goal was to create sort of like your deceased loved one as a robotic AI person, you know, um, put in all the personality traits, all the likes and dislikes and memories into this robot AI so that after they die, you still have them there sort of. And I don't know that that just reminded me of it. It made it sort of tied into the whole. <laughs> oh yeah. I believe me. I cannot wait for my robot body. <laughs> Mine will be two stone thinner. <laughs> 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 Diet. I got a robot. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm gonna be 14 feet tall and be able to shoot fire out of my navel. Oh my uh, god! You're gonna be William Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, 
Oh my goodness. If we need more Braveheart references as well. Um, while, while the, the, the key guy, um, who is, uh, within the, within the, the credits is referred to as key man. So, uh, he's the guy making all the engineers. So he takes down yet another prostitute. Also, we get, uh, the first encounter with Ruka and the key man when he, uh, does, uh, le- leaves a little gift, uh, behind at the, um, at the subway on the train. And so Ruka has kind of gone undercover a little bit. I, I assume that she is, uh, you know, dressed like a prostitute, one would assume. She's not only dressed like a prostitute, but what she's wearing is actually very interesting because she's, okay, she's got this sort of little crop top um, kimono. It's like a kimono, but it's very short, with these little leather shorts and these leather boots. Um, But the way her hair is done, and the style of the clip that she's put in her hair is actually the same traditional style that prostitutes back in sort of ancient Japan would wear. Because they would wear the kimonos and the hair clips kind of like geisha, but theirs were very different. They're, the, um, the clip that she's wearing has sort of all the tassels hanging off and things like that. Um, and the kimono was always tied differently because uh, they were obviously trying, having to take them on and off quite quickly. Uh, whereas a geisha, it would take, uh, you know, hours and hours to get all right. of that stuff in their hair and everything. So it's, it's actually what she's wearing is amazing because it's kind of a modernized version of a traditional Japanese prostitute, which is pretty badass. Um, it's a nice touch anyway, I thought. Uh, and don't ask me why I know so much about ancient Japanese prostitutes. <laughs> I I can only assume that uh, there is a reincarnation element to it, and we'll leave it at that. Kind of a, a real Audrey Rose situation. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk about the club. Oh, God. I would hang out at this club every weekend if it existed in my town. Yeah, yeah. So we have, uh, and this is kind of a Ruka-less scene, but we have a, a character... Um, who is a a member of the police who goes into the this club, which I don't recall it having a name, uh, or if it does, I I just I don't have that in my notes in front of me. But the yeah, I don't it, think so. Yeah, it's basically kind of a a leather slash rubber slash fetish club, and the outfits are amazing. Sorry, yeah. didn't mean to get girly, but holy living shit. Some of the stuff that people are wearing in this club is absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's a lot of latex. They're, a lot of latex. One assumes that a, a large portion of the budget uh, for this club goes into uh, baby powder. <laughs> and and probably some sort of petroleum jelly. Uh, I mean, even, you know, and the, the master of ceremonies seems to be this incredibly tall woman yeah maybe maybe yeah i mean it, it's tough to tell but there is certainly yeah. a feminine quality to the shape of, of him slash her yeah, uh, yeah. i could be gender neutral i suppose yeah. gender, gender gender neutral maybe i don't yeah. i don't know 
tough to say. <laughs> it, it really is. But there are there are uh, faux vampires in this club. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of piercings. There's a lot of hair dye. Um, that seems to be the big message of this movie. If you're alt in any way, you're a deviant. <laughs> right. You are part of the the new Tokyo that we are trying to prevent from happening. Um, so, because I think there's a fondness in this movie for the weird and deviant. Yeah. That it isn't just, you're going to be punished, but they're, they're sort of, you know, of two minds, this movie, I think, um, that there is an element where if you participate in this, then you're looked down upon by, you know, the traditional structure. Um, but there's also a celebration of it to an extent. And, um, and no more so than in the in the club scene where you as a patron of this club uh the the MC the master or mistress of ceremonies um reveals ladies who have numbers written on them and then you can provide uh the the number you know you you request a number for the the woman that you want to spend a little time with it's like an um, option, isn't it? Yeah. It but the the ladies that we have, there's one with the um sewn up looking tooth filled breasts. Yeah. <laughs> and she's the most sort of normal looking of all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Then there's there's one yeah. that's got a penis nose. Oh god, I forgot about penis nose. <laughs> and and she actually figures into one of the short films in a pretty bananas way as well. So uh, just oh, to God. tease you further, that I character. See these now. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Some of it is okay. Some of it is pretty wonderful. So, um, so there's the penis nose lady. Then there is the snail lady who has her eyes on stalks and has a snail shell on her back. Of all of the body modifications that were treated to in this movie, the snail lady, the eye thing, oh my God. It just, just looking at it, I mean, oh, it makes, it just makes my eyes ache because they're, it's like where her eye sockets are, she's got glass tubes that extend her eyes out and her eyeball is in the end of the tube with all the nerves and, and connecty bits. I'm no doctor, uh, but I think that's the technical <laughs> term. That's uh, the medical expression, yeah, the connecty bits. The connecty bits are, are running down this glass tube, and just it just looks – I mean, it, it gives me a headache when I see her. I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> the amount of eye drops she must go through in a day. <laughs> yeah, life without lids is no way to go. No. Um, that's the real message of Tokyo Gore Police is is <laughs> don't take your eyelids for granted. Um, and so our 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 deviant in question, the guy that's uh, we followed into the club, um, is going with uh, teeth breast lady, um, who is the most normal looking at at the time, and he goes with her to a back room. Uh, well, she kind of seduces him into the room by crawling out the door and is like, hey, sailor. Um, Were you it, as surprised as me that he didn't go with chair lady thing? Oh, how could we <laughs> not mention the chair lady thing? So 
the final reveal of like, hey, you can spend some time with this exhibit. And yeah, and it is. It's just a, a, a chair with that's made of flesh and bone that is feminine, but the vaginal area seems to have split open and what I can only think of as a stamen has appeared there and the chair then pees on the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And who are into it. It's alive. Yeah. It's it's like, it's like a person splayed over a chair, but with no head or face or anything. Um, Yeah. Although you can see the chest rise and fall. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we should have gotten it. Fucking weird. We should have got an actual doctor on the show to say, you know, is this a thing that can happen? Right. Something in that state, can you keep them alive? Yeah. (laughs) Can we human centipede someone into a living chair? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so weird. And the fact that the audience. Like uh, it, uh, they they all get silent at the reveal of of the chair lady, and then they go nuts for it, and then it yeah. pees on them, and they like it even more. Yeah. <laughs> Which, in fairness, I probably would too. Well, yeah. You, what else can you do? I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real like. Well, you don't see that every day, kind of scenario. You. you there's just no like this is why I love this movie so much because <laughs> at no point during the course of the of the film is this mentioned before is it mentioned after it's just hey here's this crazy thing yeah just accept and, it just accept the chair <laughs> yeah it is oh it's so wonderful um, <laughs> accept chair lady into your life <laughs> yeah I yeah I mean between all right so. If you want to just take a quick tally, thus far in the movie, we've had a chainsaw hand guy, somebody mm-hmm. folded up into a box and their blood drained, a the, gimp. Yeah, the quadruple amputee gimp. Can't can't leave her out. Right. <laughs> um, a rain of blood. And now, uh, like, engineered prostitutes that like boil down to the base like what does one of what is what does a john want and is it just something to sit on in a vagina because we got that yeah. here at the club <laughs> well and it, they had the sort of normal well not normal but non-engineered prostitutes earlier but they were children weren't they yeah yeah they're they're kind of and either schoolgirls or I, and I think they're dressing, and and it's also worth pointing out, like the age of consent in Japan is much lower than in most Western countries, and there is a weird sexualization of of young girls in Japan. And I think that maybe she was of age, but dressed down, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, to to cater to that particular uh, which, fetish. Which we also, which we also have in Western culture. I mean, go to any strip sure. club, there will be a Catholic schoolgirl <laughs> yeah. on the pole at some point in the night. There will be the nineteen-year-old Catholic schoolgirl on the pole. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird that that there seems to be a universality in the idea of 
like we want them as young as we can get them, I guess. Um, I've got a theory on that. I think it's because <laughs> right? I, I, I think it's because a lot of men, not all men, don't start sending me hate mail. God damn it! Uh, there are a lot of inadequate men out there, and they're like, "Well, she's so young and innocent; she won't know that I completely suck at sex. She'll think I'm amazing because she doesn't know any better." <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of the the idea of the seventy uh, two version virgins or whatever. Yeah, uh, of yeah. like I'm gonna go to heaven and have sex with the most inexperienced people possible, <laughs> which sounds terrible. I know, right? I think back to losing my virginity and think, well, how could any man want? I mean, it it can't be that exciting. It can't possibly be. But I guess you know. Because it's always the sort of creepers that go after them, isn't it? It's yeah. Never, it's never the well-rounded guys with a healthy sex life. It's always like these old, weird guys that have a neck beard and a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, of, of course. Of course. And, you know, I, I just think that there is nothing, there's nothing worse than first-time sex, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can be on fire. That's clearly worse. But... <laughs> Being eaten alive by ants, probably probably worse. Yes, <laughs> yes. But in terms of the human experience, like <laughs> losing your virginity and the ensuing apologies, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you're just happy it's over with so you can build on that experience, you know? <laughs> uh, and that, that's universal <laughs> for both genders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think male or female, anybody their first time at bad is doing anything crazy. No. You know, you're just, you're, you're too busy just wondering like, oh my God, is something going to explode? Uh, <laughs> which in the world of Tokyo <laughs> Gore Police, not out of the question. <laughs> All right. So we, we now have the scene speaking of, of sexual encounters. Oh yes. Where our, our John is in a chair as a uh, toothy breast lady is uh, orally pleasuring him, filleting him. And everybody's having a good time. You know, we're all into it. And then... It's always going well. (laughs) Right. As you... It is the expected transaction transpiring. Yeah. I mean, and she's she's even making eye contact. You know, I mean, she's giving him his money's worth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, And honestly, I pay that they don't look at me. I don't need that. It's too, too much judgment. Um, and then, uh, like you would expect in this scenario, she bites off his penis. Oh, yeah. We get another shower of blood. Yep. Uh, right another from seven, seven gallons. <laughs> yep. Right, right from the groinal area. And then uh, Key Man shows up and gives him the unlucky thing. Because uh, what happens is when when Key Man comes around with his fleshy key thing, uh, a keyhole appears on the human body, which I think is pretty rad as well. That, that is really really cool. <laughs> and it's inserted into the body and turned, and then your body opens up and accepts this key, and then you're an engineer. Um, it, he does manage to shoot the girl in half, however. Yeah. And and scramble out of the room. Oh, God, yes. Which is leads 
to one of the most amazing women in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as if having teeth on your breasts weren't enough to make you, let's at the very least, an interesting conversationalist at a party. You know, uh, like, hey, where did you get those teeth on your breasts? Those kind of conversations. <laughs> I couldn't help but notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you must, your dentist must be ambitious, at least. <laughs> Do you have to floss them? Or <laughs> right. brushing enough? Or what? what how, how, tell me about the upkeep of these toothy breasts. Yeah. How much gum disease are you in for? Because that seems terrible. So, so, so uh, she comes around the corner after screaming for a while, and we get the reveal of uh, Vagina Gator. Oh, God, Vagina Gator. Uh, because Toothy Breast Lady has uh, been, and after being shot in half has developed basically a bulbous alligator looking head where her legs were. And of course the, the center of her, the, the vaginal area is now just a big mouth. Um, I don't know that there's any kind of symbolism there. There's still a vagina in there. Yeah. yeah. Because she, she comes, she crawls out with a gator vagina, lower half. And um, looks all cute at him and then just slowly spreads her vagina gator mouth legs. And there is a pussy there. So the question is, would you still fuck it? <laughs> I mean, would I? Uh, I mean, probably. But I'm also like, I also am a firm believer in the idea of sleeping with people for the story. See, that was my whole thing, too. It's like. Yeah, it's not hot, but you kind of have to just just for the experience, just to say you did. Right. One, you guys wouldn't believe it, but uh, I totally did this vagina gator girl, and shit, man, I was lucky to get out with both my arms. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's like what you know. This reminds me of the time you said you were going to have sex with B. Arthur, you know. Uh, <laughs> Just because you wanted to have Maud as a notch on your bedpost. So, so Vagina Gator uh, comes out and then bites off uh, his his arm. And, uh, and he ends up, uh, sadly, I think, uh, killing Vagina Gator with his amputated arm still holding a gun. Doesn't he shoot it? Uh, shoot her and he pussy shoots her, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Right in the... Right, right in, in the goods. Man. Yeah. <laughs> and so she dies, but he is now an engineer as well. And he turns up at the, uh, the Tokyo Gore police station. And he now has a cannon where his penis had been as well as a big tube arm. And proceeds to just basically F up a bunch of the police, uh, shooting them mostly with his penis cannon. And, uh, he's eventually taken down, but not before killing a lot of, uh, a lot of the police. And then we make the turn into 
the movies. You can't you can't fuck with the cock cannon. There is a certainly Cronenbergian element to all of this movie. Uh, the idea of you know the, the mutation of the body and and desecration of the flesh and all that fun stuff. Tokyo Gore Police is only one example of another side of Japanese horror cinema. Just like the West, horror has a tendency to push boundaries and indulge in extremes, and the Japanese splatter film is a unique blend of such taboo-shattering efforts and cultural relevancy. You can chart the Japanese splatter film all the way back to Nobuo Nakagawa's Jigoku, which was released in 1960. Even at this early stage of filmmaking, Jigoku represented hell in a manner that embraced special effects, and more importantly, a total disassociation with reality that would characterize many later efforts. In 1977, Obayashi Nobuhiku's House, or Hausu, extended the surreal nature of Japanese horror cinema, employing an astonishing number of visual effects gags to paint an hallucinatory picture of the traditional haunted house film. The most direct comparison to the modern form, though, comes from Shinya Tsukamoto's Tetsuo the Iron Man, first seen in 1989. Tetsuo created half-man, half-machine creatures, and those were the heroes of the movie. But there are really two men without whom the Japanese splatter landscape would be a little less red, and the world would be a little worse for it. Noboru Iguchi and Yoshihiro Nishimura are not only contemporaries, they are colleagues. While Iguchi was working on The Machine Girl the story of a girl seeking revenge for the death of her brother with a machine gun in place of her amputated arm, that old chestnut, Nishimura was working on the special effects for the film. He was also developing his own material, beginning with the short Anatomia Extinction, a precursor in both form and story to Tokyo Gore Police. Coming out the same year, both The Machine Girl and Tokyo Gore Police were the culmination of years of Japanese film, edging more and more toward the absurd and the bizarre. It didn't hurt that audiences in the West had seen what the East was producing and said unreservedly, give us some more of that. Iguchi in particular is an interesting character, and one we'll explore later. His use of adult video stars in his films, appropriate since Iguchi had cut his teeth directing adult films in Japan prior to diving into the splatter scene, was just another of the questionable morality that surrounded this type of filmmaking. One thing you may have heard us discuss already is the humor employed in these movies. Unlike the somber splatter films of the West, not all, save your emails, but a lot of them, Japanese splatter can and is often referred to as splatstick for the black humor used in the movies. So far removed from the bounds of reality and wielding buckets of blood, one may wonder where these movies come from. If Godzilla can be seen as a cinematic response to the A-bomb attacks of World War II, what the hell is all this vagina gator stuff about? It may actually be a fairly simple explanation. Since opening up to the West, Japan has been inundated with ideas foreign to its cultural identity. It's not too surprising, then, that movies about change, in this case horrific body modifications, can spring out of a time in Japan's history where its very identity is being challenged by more modern ideas. Things like gender roles and standards of acceptable behavior are changing rapidly, and a movie like Tokyo Gore Police is nothing if not an all-out assault on all things normal. While you can argue that the political persuasion of the film is not easy to nail down exactly, the idea of a female protagonist whose body has been infected with a mutating agent, enabling them to overthrow the status quo, well, you don't have to be Freud to see that the underpinnings of this type of film may be rooted in a nation struggling with its own evolving identity. 
Nishimura himself has stated that his inspiration comes more from the art of Salvador Dali, more than the cinematic history of his native country, though there's little doubt that the more surreal horror manga of the culture plays its part as well. Whether you want to sink into the potential social ramifications of these films, or you prefer to enjoy it on a baser level, it's hard to argue that there's a direct analog to this sort of filmmaking in the West, beyond a handful of very specific examples. This type of movie making is bold, inventive, and unafraid of embracing the deviant and aberrant natures of its characters. It also happens to be a metric ton of fun. But enough smarty pants stuff for now. Let's get back to vagina gators and proper gimp usage. Uh, penis cannon. So you can't cannon, you yeah. can't go wrong with a penis cannon. Uh, that is <laughs> that is just one of the immutable laws of nature. Um. So yeah. So the, the that did not remind you so much of odorous ungus and his oh, penis cannon. Oh sure. <laughs> oh sure. And also a little sex machine from from Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that's right. Only, it, you know, that was a device and not attached as this one is. I like the fact, too, that it, it's sort of an elephant trunk that kind of lopes around before it shoots. So it's, uh, yeah. it's pretty great. Um, uh, <laughs> Tokyo Gore Police, you treat me so good. Uh, then, all right, so the police uh, station get, gets busted up. And then we kind of turn into uh, the last portion of the film in which the police force... Um, and, and by the way, we haven't mentioned this yet. And we, I, Missy, I, honestly, I'm ashamed of both of us. Oh, the police force has, uh, an adorable, uh, dispatcher. Oh my God. The dispatcher. She is one of my favorite characters in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, she's very enthusiastic. You know, she reminds me of for, for you listeners out, out there that have seen battle Royale. Yeah. The girl in the video explaining how the competition works, this dispatcher is like her on steroids. <laughs> yeah, and and somewhere down the line, we're probably going to talk about the movie uh, Stacy, uh, oh. <laughs> which has a similar kind of tone with all the advertisements and stuff. It's just this real, this real peppy attitude about the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. She's so excited about going out and killing these engineers. Yeah, kill, kill, kill. And and so the police force's attitude now is if you kind of look like maybe you sort of could be an engineer, we're probably going to murder you. Oh, yeah. yeah. The police force really goes a bit nuts at this point in the film to the point where um, they have this, um, oh, what do they call the forensic people, you know, they work in the more, what's the word? Sorry. Medical examiners. Yeah. Yes, the medical examiner, and he's got a humpback and an eye patch, and he's completely weird and creepy. And um, he, you know, you get a sense that before this point, they were sort of, they were militant and crazy, but not to the extent that they are now. And he has, um, what, a girl dressed as a maid tied to a chair now, and he's just cutting fingers off. And, and they're, they're just going a bit, you know, we're just going to kill you if we think it's a possibility. You're nothing to us, you know? Yeah. And it's, it, the, I, I, as political as this movie gets, I think it, it, it happens kind of here um, with the idea of, well, if you have this private police force and no one's monitoring them and they, they basically are instituting martial law of their own accord and, and murdering the citizenry. 
and uh, and none of that's good. You know, you don't yeah. want your police just gunning gunning folk down. Um, yeah, not a good time. Right, right. It just leads to a lot of uh, unpleasant conversations with loved ones <laughs> about how you know poor Yuki was murdered by the police because maybe she had a birthmark that looked kind of like a key or something. Yeah. Um, but as this is happening, uh, we also have our, our confrontation between, uh, key man and Ruka, uh, where she tracks him down. Thanks to, um, <laughs> we, so w- at a certain point he loses the top of, a, of his head, uh, yeah. th- thanks to Ruka back in the train. Yeah. And he pulls off his skull so that now he is just eye stalks in a brain uh, above the nose, pretty much. Yeah, but, but the eye stalks also shoot these, like, spike things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he adapts as well. Um, and... Uh, we find out that he is actually um, a, a former scientist. Um, he is ultimately tracked down to uh, one of his known addresses, uh, which is completely covered and padlocked by all, all these uh, all these locks, um, which was pretty cool as well, because once one gets unlocked, they all just unlock and fall to the ground. Yeah. Um, and so Rook and Keyman finally have their, their face to face and we learn that Keyman's father was a police sniper who was basically kicked out of the police because he couldn't murder a guy who was holding a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't get any of his severance pay. <laughs> right, and he wants to send his son, who is the key man, to school because his son wants to be a scientist. Yeah, his son was a genius as a child. He was he was an absolute genius, and he couldn't afford to do it. Yeah, so to finance his education, uh, they the police force essentially says, like, hey, you're going to murder this dude. And we're going to give you all this money to do it. And that's going to take care of your, your kid's school. And it turns out that key man's father murdered Ruka's father. Yeah, Ru- Ruka's father was a police officer that was uh, protesting against the privatization of the police. Yes. And, but the key man makes the point of saying, yes, my father killed your father. But he he only pulled the trigger. He did not order the hit. Yeah. That was done by the chief of the police. And yeah, he, he shot his father as well as soon as he had shot Ruka's father. Right. And Ruka uh, has been infected by Keyman as well. So she is an engineer even though she does not look different at yeah. this point. And it's not until, uh, and then she kills Keyman, just straight up murders him, cuts him in half. Like he spills the beans and she's like, thanks. Appreciate it. How do you feel about bisection? (laughs) So he is no longer with us. And the story then becomes a revenge story where Ruka wants to kill 
the chief of police uh, for killing her father and also because, you know, the police are running rampant. Um, and on her way back to the police station, she uh, encounters uh, the owner of the, the bar independent, her mother figure, who is being pulled apart by four different cars driven by the police. And, and, and probably my favorite, one of my favorite shots in the movie is when you get the four camera angles of her limbs pointed at the cars and was like, Oh, well that's, that looks unpleasant. (laughs) Yeah. Quite like she got a pretty good kill in before they did that though. Uh, They stormed her bar. And she had a big wine bottle that was broken off at the end and stabbed the guy in the face. And when she pulls <laughs> yeah. the bottle out, his face is all hollowed out. And she blows into the end of the bottle and it shoots his face onto the floor. Fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's like there are, there are so many of, of these little moments that, you know, there's just not time to analyze each one. But when oh, you're watching no. Tokyo Gore Police, about every five to seven minutes, something <laughs> crazy happens, like spitting a face onto the floor of a bar. <laughs> uh, it's so good. And even the, the music in, in this whole scene, the, I mean, the music throughout it is, um, the licensed music, I mean, where they actually have songs and all the mu- all the songs are kind of, you know, punk rock and subversive as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the, all of the music in this movie is, is just, oh, it's just amazing. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And so we then, after, after uh, the, the mother figure, uh, the owner of the bar independent is pulled apart, um, Ruka kills those fools and then ends up tangling with, uh, one of the engineers, uh, who is the kind of schoolgirl looking engineer. Um, uh, oh, yeah. and acid. yeah, she has, she has boob acid <laughs> and she has a, a, a box cutter on one hand, a giant size yeah. box cutter. And, uh, this is the first time that Ruka gets injured, and so we see her mutation occur, which is uh, an alligator hand, kind of, or snake hand, maybe. Um, basically, her hand has a, a head and eyes, or her uh, her hand uh, has a head and eyes and a big mouth. Yeah, and lots a, of big teeth. And lots of big teeth and a big tongue, it turns out later. <laughs> and... So she ends up disarming quite literally uh the schoolgirl engineer on her path into the police station. Yeah. And now we have our big showdown between her and the chief of police but not before it, it's almost like a video game, right, where you have to go through yeah. the the bosses. And so the first person that she encounters is the weirdo medical examiner. Oh my god, yes. And his big crazy handgun. Literally a handgun <laughs> where it shoots hands out of this big rotating like Gatlin barrel. Uh, the best part about the handgun is that they're fists, but then when he decides that he's pissed off enough, they turn into 
giving the finger. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and he has managed to pin Ruka to the wall with uh, one hand around her neck, which uh, is still, for whatever weird Tokyo Gore <laughs> police reason, is still squeezing her throat. And then there's another hand that's like, uh, you know, pinning her to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and so the medical examiner, after kind of giving her the business about like, ah, you're an engineer now. Uh, and I'm going to kill you. And I don't know if it makes me sad or happy that you're an engineer, but oh, well, here's a bunch of middle finger hands that I'm going to shoot you with. <laughs> and, and then, uh, so Ruka's, uh, mutant hand shoots its tongue up like a stripper yeah. pole <laughs> and the middle finger hands hit that just the right way to swing them around back at the medical examiner weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> like five of them go into him. Yeah, like one in his eye and then three or four in his chest. Oh, and they show what's great is they show it turning around on the tongue in slow motion. Oh. So it's, like, it's so dumb. It is like it is probably in a, in a movie that's that has a lot of questionable special effects, but also kind of gloriously questionable. This is the one that was like, I don't know that this comes off. This just seems real dumb. Yeah, but because yeah. it, it, you can almost tell that it's somebody just moving their hand to the <laughs> the fleshy stripper pole and then just turning around. Yeah, uh, it, it hits like right, like if you shoot the finger, the little knuckle in between the extended finger and the others that are folded down, and spin they spin around on that and somehow maintain the momentum yep. to shoot off, and uh, yeah. I, I would Amazing. argue that they might even pick up speed. Yeah, uh, please, you like it. And so it it, it impales uh, the medical examiner dude, but we can't get to the final boss yet, which is the chief, because we got some gimp action. Oh God, I love everything about this bit. <laughs> It yeah, it is maybe my favorite thing in the movie, and there I have a lot of favorite things. But when yeah. the, when the <laughs> gimp comes out walking on four swords, and you realize yes. we are about to have a sword fight between a mutant-handed Ruka <laughs> and. This gimp that's got swords on four nubs. Oh, yes. How was this movie not best picture? And don't forget the manic depressive switch. Right, right. <laughs> we have to turn her, the gimp on manic depressive so that she attacks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Which so... is always handy in a gimp. You want to be able to just turn the switch and, right, she's good to go. They don't translate the other side of that. I wonder if it's like manic depressive and really into full house, you know, <laughs> or like what, it, what is the, the alternate to manic depressive? Um, where is the spectrum on that one? But so there's a fight between uh, the Gimp and Ruka, they're sword fighting and Ruka uh, takes off the front swords and then the Gimp, uh, again, very adaptive, uh, just starts somersaulting back towards her. 
and, yeah. and then fights <laughs> with the leg stumps for a while. And then Ruka gets rid of those, chops those off, and then Ruka just WrestleManias the gimp. <laughs> Like, picks her up and just swings her around and lets her fly. And that's the point where when she lands, you hear, like, a <laughs> Like a puppy whipper, and you're like, oh, poor prisoner 639. Aww. I hope you're okay. I want her backstory. Can we get a sequel that's just her backstory? Yeah, I... Oh. <laughs> Alright, we'll, we'll get to talk of a sequel in a second, because th- it ends so well. But, um, yeah. the... <sighs> Then we have our final battle between the chief of police and Ruka. And he injects like the reanimator fluid into himself. Oh my God. It was so the reanimator fluid. (laughs) And, and so he gets really strong and angry and goes after her and Ruka cuts off his legs at the knee. And you think that she has won, but he has two more vials of reanimator juice or whatever. Like they don't explain yeah. it. And that's the best I got. <laughs> that, well, it's green. It's in a syringe. What else could it be? <laughs> right, right. And he jabs it into his stumps, his leg stumps and the blood that he is issuing, which again, in this movie is never a trickle. It's, no. it's already bleeding freely. But now it begins bleeding with enough force to propel him around like a helicopter. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) He's flying across the room on these rocket-powered blood stumps. (laughs) Uh, Rocket-powered blood stumps. My college band, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's tremendous. In a movie that has... Just constantly been weirder and weirder as as the movie goes on. This is the one that's just like, okay, all laws of physics are gone. <laughs> yeah. He, d- he clearly does not have enough blood in his body to propel him around this long. <laughs> all of that is out the window. But at this point, you know, it, it's like what Spielberg said about Jaws. If you don't buy... uh. Roy Scheider shooting the air tank in the shark's mouth at the end of the movie. Spielberg said, you know, if I don't have them by that point, I, I never had them. Yeah. And, and I think this is uh Nishimura. It's his great white shark with the air tank in his mouth. It's, you know, if you're going to complain about blood propelled chief of police helicoptering <laughs> around this place, apparently I never had you as an audience. Yeah. You just got to kind of swing with this one. And well, you have to because how else could it go? I mean, with all the things that you've seen so far, what do you expect at this point, really? Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Like where there's no we haven't crossed a line because that line is way behind us. <laughs> so so there's uh, you know, a bit more of a fight and then she ends up uh uh you know, giving him a, a Hollywood-esque send-off by, you know, giving him the retirement speech, essentially, and then cutting him open and and uh, decapitating him. And the final image of the movie is of the sort of reconstituted 
Tokyo police force, but now we get like the burn the film burn. And instead of this, you know, private police force commercial, we, we see Ruka and prisoner six, three, nine, the gimp only the swords have now been replaced by machine guns on all four limbs. Yeah. Giant machine guns, giant (laughs) ass machine guns. They were so big. She was like, Seven feet tall worth of machine guns. <laughs> yeah. So apparently the rule is if you kill the owner of a gimp, you get the gimp. I love this rule. This I, is the best rule. I'm excited to be a part of it. I I think it only makes <laughs> sense. I mean, how many independent gimps do you do you know? You know, it's not like now that she has her freedom, it's like, you know, I'm gonna go lead my gimp life in the gimp city, get myself a <laughs> gimp job. <laughs> Maybe have a gimp boyfriend. Who knows? No, no, no. You're a gimp. You 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 have to belong to someone. And now, prisoner six three nine belongs to Ruka, and we've upgraded to machine guns. And then there's a big splash screen that says "More gore coming soon," and the movie is done. Um, we get a little bit of a not quite post credits intercut with the credits. Uh, we see um, acid boobed cutter hand uh, young lady uh, finding Key Man, who we think is dead at first, and then they just stroll off together. Well, Key Man, I don't think Key Man can die really because if you remember earlier in the movie, he didn't he make a deal with the devil, the short white. Oh devil? God! How did we not talk about this? Yes. <laughs> so he. He injects himself. Oh, God, I can't believe we almost left this out. <laughs> when he's working in his science lab, he's experimenting on killers. And ha- they have bottles of, like, genetic material from the the serial killers the world over. Yeah, they got, like, Charles Manson. They got, yeah. Yeah. Loads of, loads of serial killers. Yeah, and he injects himself with their genetics, I guess. <laughs> like, again, the science is not great here. <laughs> he injects himself with serial killer genes and then freaks out, goes up to the roof, jumps off, and then finds himself at the gates of hell, question mark, where a Caucasian midget devil gives him the keys that the engineers are created from and then closes the door. Cause Caucasian midget devil kind of seems pissed off that somebody was knocking on the door to begin with. Yeah, like, he, could, like he had something going on. He looked like, tired. Like he'd woken him up or something. And he's just like, what the fuck man? I was, I was sleeping. <laughs> right. do, you know what, <laughs> do you know what time it is here in <laughs> Tokyo Gore police hell? It's late and I'm tired. What do you need? Okay. Here's a key thing now on your way. Yeah. Uh, Going back to bed. <laughs> uh, can you, oh my goodness, can you believe it? Um, <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, I can't I, again. I, I feel terrible that we almost left that out of the conversation. So um, yeah. <laughs> we, we remembered in the end. That's all that matters. <laughs> yes. So Keyman um, then uh, takes off. Uh, you know, fucks off with the the acid boobed girl. And uh, and that's that's really it. Um, 
you know, I think the implication that you're left with is, okay, well, this battle is going to continue somewhere down the line. There may be a sequel at some point. Um, never has been. Want there to be. We'd like there to be. I'd watch the hell out of a sequel. They could make, they could make 10 of these and I would watch them all. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's what's pretty great about this movie. That brings us to our takeaways from this movie and, and, and what we learned. Um, you know, I, I learned that, uh, a vagina gator is surprisingly attractive. Um, uh, there's a cop cannon. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's equal opportunity. We're not, <laughs> not being sexist here. Um, you know, as we d- discussed, this is the kind of movie that once you see it, you're like, I can't believe that somebody just went balls out like they do in this film. Oh God. Yeah. It is just, it's audacious. It's ridiculous. It is over the top. It is. It, I mean, there's, <laughs> You can't take it too seriously. In fact, we were kind of discussing this uh, before the show that this is just not a movie you can you can take as being a serious examination of anything because of how ridiculous it is. But absolutely not. If you if you if you watch this movie and take it incredibly seriously and go on about oh well this and that no you've got to lighten the fuck up. You need to have a drink. Have a steak and a blowjob or something. And just <laughs> light the hell up. <laughs> There's nothing. It's it's so fun. It's a fun movie. It's not meant to be, uh, you know, cause for deep introspection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the movie clocks in about an hour forty, and or hour fifty, and it zooms along. And you know, I've heard some complaints about this film. Uh, in that at a certain point, you're almost battered by the amount of, of special effects and weirdness of this movie. And I, I can see that argument, but I am of the breed, uh, Misty, that I can't get enough of, of this level of weirdness. Like, I watch... I'm with you 100% on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I watched the movie, I watched the shorts, and had there been a sequel, I probably just would have turned around and watched that. Um, oh yeah. You know, th- this isn't the first time that Nishimura made a movie like this. You know, he, he definitely has his, his niche. Um, and this is his first movie, but, uh, it's not the last, it's not the the last one that's ridiculous and over the top and weird. <laughs> but it, it was the first I encountered. It was the first one he had made. And it, yeah, it, it did have that effect of opening up, uh, as you said, a, a world of, of movies that I didn't know existed and didn't know that I would enjoy. And then w- once I got a taste, I was, I was all in. Oh God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a style of movie that I didn't realize I absolutely had to have in my life until I saw it, you know? And then one, <laughs> yeah. once I saw it, I was like, this is what has been missing <laughs> from my movie collection. Right. Um, there was a hole in me that I tried to fill with religion <laughs> and family and work. And none of that worked until Tokyo Gore police. And now <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, it has all the classic elements that people love about horror movies. You know, it has, 
you know, up to 11. It multiplies everything, the blood, the, uh, I, I can't call them creatures, can I? Because they're, they were engineered people, but yeah, it, everything about it. Yeah. Just it's- sings to my need for over the top ridiculous shit. <laughs> yeah, like if Cronenberg had a a more ridiculous sense of humor. Yeah, he gave you a lot of acid. Yeah, and <laughs> and had been slipped a Mickey <laughs> and w- was taken to Japan to direct a movie that he would have no recollection of later. Yeah. Then it's it's kind of Tokyo Gore Police. <laughs> uh yeah, it's it's very silly it's it's ridiculously over the top but i would argue that the story is for for what the story is in this movie is exactly all it should be you know it's there's enough to hang your hat on but it doesn't get in the way of the real point of this movie is you know again just kick back watch this thing happen and nudge your friends and or loved ones when <laughs> you see a vagina gator or acid boobs. Things like the acid boobs, you know, that's become almost a staple in these, in these movies. Yeah. It, it's weird. The stuff that you see repeat, like the idea of the deformed um, eyes and arms are really a big thing. And, Absolutely. and you know, once I think it's next season that we're going to talk about meatball machine. Um, but that's another one that is just full of, of this kind of weirdness of the body, the body betraying the person, um, in a way that makes them more powerful. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. It's done in such a fun way though, because I mean, obviously body shock horror exists, uh, outside of these movies. But when you get things like um, like the Eating Razors movie and things like that, it, it's just, you know, it, it's it, the westernized stuff. It seems too serious and too torture porny. Um, yes, that is now a term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, whereas here you get a lot of body shock, but it's done in such a fun, outlandish way. That instead of sort of wanting to look away, you can't look away. You can't stop watching because it's just so over the top and fun. You know, instead of leaving the film feeling, ugh, why the fuck did I watch that? You leave the film feeling, oh, we need to watch that again. (laughs) I've got to show my friends this immediately, you know. Yeah, as offensive as some of the stuff is could potentially be in this movie. It almost never feels offensive because of the, the level to which it goes. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, at the, at the beginning of the movie, when you, when you have her lower a rocket launcher to the ground and use that to jump up to the top of a building, <laughs> it's like, okay, we're, we're in a very comic book kind of world here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it does. You know, the, the, uh, since you've said it, the more I think about it, the more I think it's true that this is almost, you know, the Japanese manga style 
horror story that you could never put on film prior to this because of expense. Yeah. And, and you know, and in this one, there's a, there's some dodgy CGI here and there, but you know, I, I think most of these movies kind of get away with it for sheer boldness. <laughs> you know, like maybe that didn't come off completely, but <laughs> no one else is trying to do this. So you get an A for effort. <laughs> And it's not that, I mean, it's a bit dodgy in places, but not that bad. It's not like Sharknado level <laughs> bad CGI or anything, you know. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's weird that you mentioned Sharknado because that's a movie that is clearly aiming for a tone like Tokyo Gore Police, where it's ridiculous and silly and over the top, but... I don't know. There, like, there's a level of camp, of knowing camp, yeah. that those Sharknado movies have that almost feels cynical. Yeah, yeah, and and they don't. The shark, the Sharknado movies. It's like they're more. How do I explain this? What are the words that I want to use? They seem more uh, geared toward. If a bunch of stoners in a dorm were making an 80s action film. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. like the tone you get from Sharknado. Whereas here, they're not afraid to offend anybody. They're not afraid to show uh, things that just make no fucking sense. Uh, they're not afraid to be gross. And they're not afraid of sexuality. And movies like sort of Sharknado in the West, all of that's missing. They just go camp and we'll show some blood and that's all we're giving you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it really. <laughs> no, I, th I, I think that's just right. I, I, I do think that um, it, it's a weird comparison, but I, I think that's the closest, you know, short of something like a trauma film or, or, or something like that, where, you know, it, it's sort of a, a kitchen sink approach to filmmaking where you just throw everything in. But I don't know. There, there's something that, that seems like a complete vision in this movie. Yeah. And, and God bless Nishimura for being able to express that vision. Like, I mean, he was a guy who came from the world of special effects directed this movie as well as did a lot of the effects and editing and that kind of thing. And really seems to like made an entertaining movie that has good points to make about the culture in which it is, uh, it, it is set, but doesn't ever get high handed with that. I mean, it's, it's never a movie that talks down to you. It feels like a movie that, you know, as you said, you just want to get a bunch of friends together and say, like, yeah. if you've never seen this, <laughs> you are you you're never going to see a movie quite like this. Uh, you, you're in for a treat, my friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, and one thing that, you know, on on this this show, I don't want to get to uh, I believe the technical term is hoity toity. <laughs> When it comes to talking about, you know, Asian horror films, because yes, we're going to talk about stuff like A Tale of Two Sisters and, um, you know, the, the kind of, yeah, the, these very classic ghost stories, uh, 
that and you know even things like old boy and and mm. and that sort of thing which is extreme but isn't extreme in a frolicsome way <laughs> you know yeah. uh, that's a perfect word for this so yeah I, you know a lot of times these movies can just be fun and because of the cultural disconnect there is an inherent strangeness to it. So those two things together make it feel like this completely otherworldly movie. Like if, if you told me that this movie had not been made by human beings, but instead, you know, (laughs) some alien civilization that had been monitoring the country of Japan over the last 40 years, then I, I wouldn't be able to argue with that. I'm like, well, yes, of course, that someone from this planet did not make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's really incredible. Um, so what, what, what further thoughts do you have about uh, Tokyo Gore Police before we start wrapping things up? Because we have a little bit of a, uh, a mission ahead of us, but uh, I don't want to give you short shrift uh, because, A, you're amazing. B, oh. it's great to have you on. It's great I, to be on. And uh, I couldn't imagine talking about uh, this movie with anyone more enjoyable. So, oh, so sweet. Well, you know, I'm a, a, a big cuddly bar, as they say. But oh, uh, here you. Give us a cuddle. Come yep. on. It's <laughs> hmm. um, <laughs> my... My poor uh, prisoner six thirty nine impression. Uh, anything that we're leaving out? It, it, do Do you feel like we have left any bloody stone unturned here? No, I think we've covered most of it without getting into. I mean, obviously, you don't. We can't go through every single because there's just too much. There's too much. We'd, we'd be here all night. Um, I do. Want, I do want to know why they have house roofs on their police cars. But other than that, yeah, I I wonder about that as well. I I don't know. Um, although it does lead to a point where Ruka shows up riding on the roof of one. Which or, is awesome. I don't think she rode on the roof of it. Actually, I think she drove there and then got on the roof really quickly. Yeah, that was because she drove through that pile of body parts, didn't she? Yeah. Yes, that the the Chinese guys were were sorting through as they were, I guess, putting Japanese people's body parts in proper piles. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but one of them turns out to be a pinhead for some weird reason. Like, like you said, there there's just too much weird shit yeah, to we- to 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 hit every beat. But by God, every. Like I said, every five to seven minutes, you're going to see something that you think, I can't believe I've I've never seen this before. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, it it is just a clusterfuck of amazingness. (laughs) (laughs) There's your back of the box quote. Um, Yeah. I, you know, one of the rules I have for myself is when I'm watching a movie, I give, I award points for showing me something I've never seen before. Oh yeah. And by that token, on a scale of one to 10, Tokyo Gore police is about a 472. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) Fuck yeah. 
not only showing you something you've never seen before, but showing you something that you wouldn't have even thought to imagine in a movie. You know, I, I mean, how many times do people like us sit around and say, oh, you know, I'd really like to see, you know, something like this in a movie. But with Tokyo Gore Police, you're just, there, there's no part of you that thought, I should see something like this until you see it. And then you realize, Oh my God, where have you been all my life? <laughs> yeah. 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 N- yeah. Totally. N- you know, like Nishimura's imagination is far beyond my own. Um, and yeah, it's amazing. It, I, there's it, not enough filmmakers like that these days. Yeah. I, I wish there were someone like when you watch versus versus is so clearly, a uh, an interpretation, an Eastern interpretation of of you know Tarantino and Raimi and that sort of thing, and um, you know something like T- Tokyo Gore Police, it definitely nods to some other films, but it's so wholly different than those that it you know it, it it's standing on the the shoulders of giants. It it, it it's its own thing without being completely uh, referential. And as a result, it's just, it's just bananas. Like every time you turn around in this movie, <laughs> there's just weird shit wall to wall. <laughs> and you either are going to become dizzied by it or you just get on board. And I think once you get on board with this movie, then, you know, it, you're, you're done for at, at that point. Then things like, Machine Girl and Meatball Machine and uh, Robogeisha <laughs> and uh, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. And, oh God, yeah, I saw that one not long ago, actually. <laughs> um, and you know, Hell Driver and like all these movies become this kind of great secret that you have, where yeah. you're like, you know, if I'm in a bad mood, how about <laughs> how about I throw on Robogeisha and by the end of that movie I'm not going to feel as bad about the world because this exists in it. Very much, yes. Very much in agreement with you there. <laughs> um so like a a big gorgeous bloody muppet movie this movie <laughs> aims to please. And and boy does it. Um ugh. All right. That's Tokyo Gore Police. God damn, that movie's good. Um, so good. I, I hope uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I mean, yes, we've spoiled aspects of it, but this is a real you got to see it for yourself uh, situation. Oh uh, god, yeah, because we can't we can't possibly you will, you'll you'll watch it and you will catch plenty of things that we haven't talked about because there's just so much so much to see. Uh, Hearing yeah. us hearing us blab about it is not is not the same. It's not yeah. going to satisfy you like the movie will. <laughs> yeah, right, you <laughs> much like phone sex. It, much like yeah, <laughs> much like phone sex. Yes, it you get the general idea, Ooh, but you, you got to be there so in person for this one. Around. Yeah, baby, <laughs> <you> like that. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's what this show ought to be. It's just you talking like that for an hour. <laughs> I would, honestly, the ratings would be much better. Uh, 
So, uh, again, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, for being here. Um, again, the, Oh yeah. We've got to do this again sometime. We definitely will. In fact, I've already got you booked for another film. Uh, I'd have to look at the schedule to see when that's happening, but we're going to do this again. Um, we are going to, uh, at some point get Ben in on the action. Oh yeah. So make it a real family affair. That's my, that's my plan. Um, yeah, it's going it, to, oh, it's going to be sexy talk nonstop. Uh, in the meantime, you can find, uh, the black Annas podcast on legionpodcast.com. You can also find it, uh, on iTunes. It is a great show and should be listened to by all. Um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the, the next episode of that. You guys have been away too long. Uh, I'm, I'm it's excited. Yeah, it's been ages, um, which I do apologize for. Uh, not a whole lot of episodes up. We're fairly new, but um, we're working on uh, our next episode to get that out as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, We've run out of rum. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so send all your rum. Uh, send, send your rum immediately. <laughs> uh, emergency rum provisions. Uh, <laughs> get your St. Bernard's. Tie the... The cask <laughs> to the neck. Um, oh my God. And then have them paddle over to, uh, to England. Um, <laughs> that's, that would probably result in some sort of St. Bernard genocide that none of us want to be responsible for. Yeah. Uh, no. If they make it here, they'll be taken very good care of. <laughs> <laughs> but chances are they won't. But if they do, if they do, they'll be fine. Uh, it's a, it's a big ocean and it turns out there are sharks and things that like to eat St. Bernard's in, in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so you can, you can find the, uh, the podcast on the, uh, the website, uh, on iTunes. You can also, uh, check out the Facebook group for Black Annis, um, which I would also highly, highly recommend. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Thanks, Misty. And thanks for having me, man. It is absolutely my pleasure. Now, uh, you'll have to sit there uncomfortably as I end the show. Go for it. Yep. All right. Um, so. Now, sadly, uh, Tokyo Gore Police is done. It's time to put the Gallagher-esque plastic sheets away uh, to shield us from the blood and return to a world without katana-limbed gimps and blood-propelled villains and what a sadder world it is for it. Um, I'm going to remind everyone one last time, check out the Black Anis uh, podcast where you can hear more from the charmingly bold Misty Marchant as well as her husband, Ben, who will be coming on the show one day, whether he likes it or not. Uh, if you'd like to give us your take on Tokyo Gore Police or any of the movies discussed on Hero Hero Go Show, why not check out our Facebook page located at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show and hop over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review, which helps us get discovered by new listeners. That actually is a big, big deal. Uh, also, why not be super groovy and tell a friend if you're enjoying what you hear? Um, we'll be back next week to discuss the manic zombie slash gunfu epic versus with evil episodes Mike Merriman. And now, as much tricot as I can legally play for you. Good night. Mm-hmm.